you got your Bibles, if you will join me in John chapter 9. John chapter 9. As we wrap up this incredible blessing of this chapter in God's Word. And uh, there was a song, uh, song just before this last one, there was a little uh, chorus or, or anthem of that song that said, Your goodness is running after me. And, uh, and what we are seeing in this text is we are seeing the goodness of God running after this spiritually, what was once spiritually or physically blind, now Christ has brought healing, but, but also pursuing this spiritually blind man to give him life. And uh, the theme of our uh, study this morning in verses 35 through 41 is from rejected to accepted. From rejected to accepted. Everybody I've ever known has desired to be accepted. And everybody I've ever known has despised being rejected. Um, I want us to do something that's going to be kind of painful. All right. But if you'll, if you'll join me, I want you to think about a moment, an event in your life where you have experienced rejection at the deepest level. Um, last night, a lot of times, most Saturday nights, we circle our family up and I'll read the text that we're going to read this morning. And, uh, and as I was reading, kind of talking about what we're going to be walking through this morning, my question to, to my kids, my bride, myself was, what, what is a, what's a time in your life, an event in your life, a moment in your life where you experience rejection at the deepest level? And it's amazing that the, that kind of the, the, a lot of folks you talk to a little older, a lot of times it's going to be something that happened as a child. It's going to be something that happened as a middle schooler, something that happened as a high schooler that oftentimes was that moment of deepest hurt. Um, but not only that, like we've all experienced rejection in some shape, form or fashion. I mean, it could be a rejection from uh, from someone that you care about, a friend. It could be a relationship. It could be your family. It could be, um, you know, uh, applying for this job that you're just 100% sure, like is locked in and locked on, like you got this. And then you only find out that you were rejected. There's, there's just like that, that feeling of rejection is, it hurts different. It, it's, it, it wounds deeply, so much so that from that rejection, we often can access it and remember just how much it hurt. And so I, I want us to start there because what we're going to do is we are going to see a, a, a brother. We don't know his name, but he moves from rejection to acceptance. But this rejection that he feels, it's like on another level. Uh, the rejection that this brother has experienced isn't just like for maybe for us, what was maybe a moment or a conversation or an event. This brother's life that we're reading about, his whole life, if he had a theme song for his life, the theme song would be called Rejected. Another theme song that might also be a, a great theme of his life would be Invisible. You say, Why? Because we don't know exactly where along the way or when it would have happened. But one thing we know for sure that, that this formerly blind man's family, they rejected him at some point. We don't have the details of that story. All we know is we meet him as a 30-ish year old 
blind man who had been blind since he was born and he's begging at the temple gates. And so his, his life and his experience is complete darkness. And all he does is hear. And he hears people walk by him and pass him by on a daily basis. His life is one of rejection and his life is one of being and feeling invisible. But in John chapter 9, what we read about and what we're finishing up today, that this brother's life has been completely flipped on its head. Like just a few hours earlier, this man who had been blind his entire life, that Christ has come and he met him where he was and he pursued him. I love how John 9, the, chapter 1, those first verses says, Jesus saw him. And I love how Jesus sees us. Jesus saw him and Jesus went to him. And Jesus spit on the ground, the Bible says, made cakes of mud with his spit and dirt. And he rubbed it on this man's eyeballs. And he told him to go to the pool of Siloam to wash off. And I love that this man, not really 100% knowing what exactly is going on, uh, but, but, but he in faith and obedience does exactly what Jesus tells him to do. And he goes to this pool and for the first time in his life, as the mud is washing off of his eyes, he has new vision. He has new sight for the first time in his entire life. He sees, he sees everything and the neighbors see what has happened. And they say like, surely this can't be. Surely can't this, this can't be the blind beggar. And then other neighbors are like, no, it just looks like him. And all the while, the formerly blind beggar is saying, it's me. <laughs> it's me. And then this, this miracle happens on the Sabbath. And so the neighbors grab or, or, or take or lead this man. We don't know, uh, you know exactly what that looked like. But they bring him to the religious leaders, to the Pharisees. And they, they kind of put him before the religious leaders and the religious leaders absolutely berate him. They berate him. Not only that, they're dismissing everything he's saying. And then they even call in mom and dad and question mom and dad. And here's what's crazy to me is these religious leaders who have seen this blind man, perhaps Time after time after time, this man sees for the first time of his life and they are, they are like not interested. They just berate with questions. Even mom and dad, mom and dad see their son, their son who has been blind his entire life. And now they see, they see their son sees, but not one time or do any inkling do we see mom and dad celebrating and grabbing hold of their son and, and celebrating that their blind son can finally see we see just the opposite. The religious leaders push him down and push him out. His own family push him down and push him out. So much so mom and dad are even like, yes, that's our son. But who did that to him? You ask him, he's old enough. Why? Because they did not want to be associated with Jesus because the religious leaders hated Jesus. Jesus was a problem for them. And so what happens from there is he is cast out of the synagogue, he's cast out of the temple, he's cast out of the gates. And they could not disprove this life change. By the way, Jesus changes lives, doesn't he? As if Jesus has changed your life, 
then you know you've met Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus because that's what Jesus does. There was no mistaking this man's life was forever changed. And so they had no, they had no, no, no kind of like answer for what he's bringing them. And so they say, well, you're, you're a sinner and you teach us. And they, they kick him out. And in that moment, he was kicked out, excommunicated, put under a ban, put under a curse. He was socially ostracized. He lost his family. He lost his community. He lost his culture. Everybody pushed him down and pushed him out. And this brother's life was the theme of rejected. And this is where we are coming in to the text this morning. And this main idea that we will see is that Jesus pursues the spiritually blind to give them spiritual life. The world pushed him down and pushed him out and Jesus pursues him. I think of that song, your goodness is running after me. Jesus pursues him and does the complete opposite of what the world does. And Jesus brings him in and lifts him up. And I love the work of the Savior. This man was physically blind, but yet in God's great grace, he gave physical sight. And up to this moment in the story, this man is spiritually blind. In other words, he is living apart from a personal relationship with Jesus. And yet Christ is going to come and give spiritual sight. I love what Jesus says in John 8, 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus has come to give spiritual life. He's come to give spiritual light. So let's look at verse 35 of John 9. The Bible says that this is, he has been kicked out of the synagogue. He is outside of the temple, outside of the gate. And the Bible says in verse 35 that Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him. I want to pause there for a minute. Because what we see is Christ pursues the rejected. He pursues the rejected. This man has been rejected, as I shared a moment ago, by his family, by his culture, by the religious leaders. He has been rejected in every area of his life. And yet Christ has taken the initiative to go after the one who has been rejected. I love the heart of Jesus. Jesus seeking after him. This man wasn't seeking after Jesus. Jesus was seeking after him. Paul says in Romans 3 verses 10 through 12. As it is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And the one who created him is the one who pursues him. And I love this. If you're here, you're in a relationship with the Lord Jesus. I love this about Jesus. Jesus created us and he pursued us. That through the gospel and through his gospel word and through the power of the spirit, he's pursuing a relationship with you, pursuing the spiritually blind. And so here we see Christ is, is on a mission. He came for a purpose. Think about it. He was born in Bethlehem to die on a cross. That was the, that was the purpose that he would come. Uh, Luke 19.10 says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. His entire life and ministry is one of purpose and mission. Seeking to save those who are lost. The spiritually blind. And so 
Jesus finds him and asks a very important question. Again, verse, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? This is a super personal question. Jesus isn't addressing multitudes right now. He's not addressing a group of people. Jesus has pursued this man who can now physically see, but he's still spiritually blind at this point. Now, his understanding of who Jesus is, is growing by the minute. From the moment he can now see, all he knows is, at least that, that he shared, is that he must be a prophet, one who is from God. But Jesus is about to reveal ultimately who he is to this brother. So he pursues this relationship and he calls himself the Son of Man. Well, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? So that's major. That's a major title. Jesus, this is one of Jesus' favorite descriptions of himself. And especially to this brother, he would understand that when you speak of the Son of Man, you are talking about the Messiah in their language. In the Old Testament, Daniel, the prophet, wrote in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, he says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was pre presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall never be destroyed. Do you believe in the son of man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Look at his answer in verse 36. He answered, And who is he, sir? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Who is he that I may believe in him? I mentioned that he's growing in his understanding of who Jesus is. That Christ up to this point has brought physical healing to his eyesight. That he understands that he is from God. That he's a prophet. At least that's his understanding at this point. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Absolutely. The Son of Man is the Messiah. He asks, who is he so that I can believe? And what we see here is that God is working on his heart. You ever pray that God would work on somebody's heart? And in our way of kind of human words, we're basically just praying that God would work in a way that's outside of my ability or our ability. I think of like mission teams when we send them out. What do we say? God, prepare the way. We pray that their hearts would be receptive. What we're praying is that God would do a work in their life and prepare them to know him. This is what's happening. His heart is being prepared with each moment that is passing. Jesus's message has been the same out of the gate in Mark Chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The way to be saved is through repentance and faith. This is the message of Jesus. It's not by works. It's by grace. And it's through faith. And here is just such a powerful moment. Verse 37, Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him, You have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you the long-awaited messiah the one you've been waiting for the one you've been anticipating it said that in the culture in that time the coming of the messiah was like at an all-time 
fever pitch, like a boiling point. And so they're looking and they're longing for the Messiah, for the Son of Man that will come, whose dominion will be forever and whose kingdom will never end. And Jesus looks at him and he tells him, you've seen him. You've seen him. He meets him where he's at. You see him. It's he that is speaking to you. It reminds me of John chapter 4 and Jesus' pursuit of the Samaritan woman. If you remember the story, Jesus again has a purpose. He's on mission to seek and to save the lost. He leads his disciples through, of all places, Samaria. Why? Because there was a divine appointment with a woman who, guess what, has been pushed down and who's been pushed out. She's been pushed down and she's been pushed out. And Christ meets her, pursues her, meets her where she's at. And here's what the Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 26. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So here's Jesus. He has pursued this brother. Pushed down, pushed out. Jesus desires to bring him in. Lift him up. And in a flash, what is this brother's response? Verse 38, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. Lord, I believe. That word Lord there, this is way more than just a title. Perhaps many of you, you, you have your name and you have a title by your name. It's what you're perhaps maybe it's where you work. It's what you're known as. Uh, it's what you do. Um, you know, there's titles that you refer. The word Lord can be a, a title, but this is way bigger than than a, a title. This is this brother surrendering completely and wholly his heart to the Lord. Lord means he to whom a person belongs. In other words, everything I am and everything I have belong to you. And so for the person who may be here or listening in this morning, who's living apart from a relationship with you, Jesus is pursuing that relationship with you. He's made a way where there was no way to be forgiven, to have peace with God, to not just be saved from something, but to be saved for something. Jesus has pursued. He has pursued. But I also have a challenge to those in the room who may have a testimony that I have had that time and place where I have repented and placed my faith in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. And I think the question we must always bring before our Lord is that is every area of my heart and is every area of my mind and is every area of my life yielded to Jesus as Lord of all things? That can we say like the blind beggar, Lord, he to whom everything belongs. And so that's what God is after. God is not after good behavior. God is not after good works. God is after your heart. We said it in the parent-child dedication a few moments ago. What's the greatest commandment? Love. Where does love? It wasn't do. It wasn't do. It was love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He wants our hearts and He's worthy of our hearts. And how do we know that this salvation moment that we're seeing before our eyes is real? Look at, look at His life. Lord, I believe. And He worshipped. He worshipped. 
speaks of superior rank. It speaks of adoration. It speaks of revering and adoring. And so what we see in the text is that Christ pursues those who are who are rejected, but also Christ gives spiritual life to those who place their faith and trust in him. We see this miracle of salvation. And may we be encouraged this morning. Can you imagine Now we don't we don't know what life looks like for the formerly blind beggar after this uh, interaction with Jesus? But can you imagine? Can you imagine having a conversation with that brother once this is over? <laughs> can you not just see him? Like, just like, who am I going to tell? <laughs> who can I talk to? Who can I share? Can't you picture him going to town and just being like, hey, like, tell me your story. And genuinely hearing. And then having that opportunity and be like, can I share what? Can I share my story with you? <laughs> and what's his story? I once was blind, but now I see. He, 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 it's not just what we're saved from. We're saved by God's grace from hell, from unforgiveness, from judgment, from condemnation. But it is not all about just what we are saved from, but what we are saved for. To understand that if you have been rescued, you have a purpose and you have a mission. And we say it often, but we are created and our mission is for his glory and for his mission, you have a purpose where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. If you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, be reminded of what God says about you. That you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which we prepared in advance that you would walk in them. And so this brother is being has been saved. There's a great work of God that is happening. But you know what happens every time there's a great work of God? That there is an enemy who is also trying to do a great work. And that great work is not for the glory of God. Rather, it is to the complete opposite. It is to steal and to kill and to destroy. This is the, mes- this is the mission of the enemy. And everywhere you see a great work of God, you see a great attempt from an enemy who is trying to do exactly that. And so we also see in this text a warning And that warning is for the self-righteous. The self-righteous are the spiritually blind. They're the spiritually dead, meaning they they don't have a relationship with Jesus. They're spiritually lost. They're people who don't think they need a Savior because they think that they are good with God because of their own goodness, their own rightness, their own having it all togetherness. They can be summed up as being self-satisfied. Like if there's a need, no worries. I got this. I can do it. I can do it. But look at verse 39. Jesus said this, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. We read that. And it's possible to read that. But then we also Remember hearing Jesus saying something to a big time religious leader named Nicodemus. And over in John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. 
So how does that square? Like, we hear judgment, we hear condemnation, but Christ has come to say, like, how does all of that work? But the thing is, they don't contradict each other at all. They complement each other. This is like two sides of the same coin. That Jesus has come to bring life. That he has come to save. That he has not come to condemn. But through the message of the gospel, we understand that all of those who reject the good news of Jesus bring condemnation and judgment on themselves. Spiritual sight, spiritual life come to those who understand they are spiritually blind and spiritually dead and need the light of the world to rescue them. So here are the Pharisees and they, they're, they're in the mix and they're trying to distract and they're trying to keep a close eye on Jesus. And in verse 40, the Bible says, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and they said to him, are we also blind? And I say that like that because in the original language, it's expecting a negative response the way it's, the way it's worded. In other words, what the religious self-righteous people are saying are we blind? Because surely we know the answer to that. Surely we know that no, we are not spiritually blind like this man was. This self-righteousness is oozing out of them. They are religious. They are the elite. They are the experts that know the law in and out. They have it all together. And what we see in verse 41 is Jesus said to them, and here's the warning. If you were blind... You would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. He said, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. If the Pharisees would confess that they were spiritually blind and need a Savior and would repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in Jesus then they would have no guilt because they would be forgiven through the grace of Christ. But because they say we see, what they are saying is, I don't need a Savior because I'm good. Because I see. And they are unforgiven and they will spend eternity apart from God. It's the same warning that Jesus gave to them earlier is that you will die in your sin and be eternally separated from God's grace. And so here is the encouragement this morning. And that is if you are placing your hope for heaven, your hope for forgiveness, your hope for life, if you're placing your hope in anything or any person other than Jesus Christ, your guilt will remain forever and you will die in your sin. Rejection is real. Nobody loves or desires to be rejected. We despise being rejected. The world, perhaps you have experienced it. I think we all have. Some shape, or form, shape form, or fashion, the world pushes us down and pushes us out. But Jesus pursues us to pull us in and to lift us up. And what we see is this brother has moved from being rejected to being accepted. And what I love about this text is where he met this man. He met him outside of the temple and he met him outside of the gate. 
And I want us to think about this because in about six months from what we're reading this event, in about six months, Jesus is going to make his final trip to Jerusalem in his earthly ministry. And he is going to be rejected at the temple. And he is going to be pushed outside, pushed down, pushed outside of the city gate to where he will be crucified for the sin of the world. And what I love is that Jesus meets this brother outside of the gate, outside of the temple. Why? Because apart from a relationship with King Jesus, we have been pushed out through our own sinfulness. And he meets us where we are, outside the gate. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, verse 12 and 14. The Bible says this, It says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. I love this. Jesus went to the rejected and he went outside the gate to meet them where they were. But what is the testimony of Jesus? He was despised and he was rejected. Where was he crucified? Outside of the gate. Why? So that those who have been rejected can be accepted because of his finished work on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection. So when we feel the sting of rejection and it hurts, and it, is, it wounds in a way that's different than a lot of other things. May we be comforted by the one who pursued us. The one who has given us life through repentance and faith in him. Who has accepted us. The one who went outside the gate so that we could have life. When the world pushes down and pushes out. The Lord brings us in and lifts us up. And so today as we take communion together. I want us to take communion with the cross in the backdrop of this moment. The moment that Christ went outside of the gate to pay a price that we could never pay for our sin. And that through the shed blood of Jesus and the empty tomb, all of those who place their faith and trust in him, he accepts them into the beloved and lifts them up. So today, we want to take communion together. And as we prepare to take communion, uh, the Lord himself instructed us to do so. He said, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And so today, uh, in light of the text that we're in and just the opportunity for us to share this moment together as a family of faith, um, I think it's important for us to remember that communion... um, that, that we don't take it flippantly. We don't take it casually. We don't take it as a, uh, yeah, I guess I'll do this. Like it, rather, we take it intentionally and prayerfully and from a prepared heart. I love what Paul says. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord on the night that he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way he also took the cup 
And after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul is exhorting us as the church that there is a proper way to take communion. It's from a prepared heart. And so what we want to do is provide just a little bit of space in this service. A little bit of opportunity for you to reflect. For you to reflect on Christ's pursuit of you. That you reflect on the reality and truth that Christ went outside the gate to take our punishment and our shame and our guilt and the price for our sin. That he absorbed all of that so that we could be set free and accepted in the beloved, that he was placed in that tomb and rose from the dead. And so as we prepare to take these elements, I encourage you, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, that you would take a moment and reflect on the work and the ministry of Christ and what Christ has done for us by going outside the gate. And I would also say this, is that here on the front rows, we'll, we'll have pastors here. And in this time of reflection... It could be that you're here and you're like, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Be encouraged. Do you hear the one who created you pursuing you through the power of his word and the power of his spirit, meeting you where you are, spiritually dead in your sins, separated from him and his grace, but he pursues you. And through his finished work on the cross and his death and his burial and his resurrection invites, invites you to turn, have a change of mindset about your sin and to turn to him and believe. And this is an intellectual agreement. This is, as we talked about, the formerly blind man, Lord, I believe. In other words, everything I am, everything I have is yours. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if that's you, I encourage you in this time that you would repent and believe. This was the message of Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. If you're here and you would like for a pastor to talk with you, counsel with you, pray for you, walk through scripture with you. We are here to do that. We'll be right down front. So we just invite you right where you are to draw a circle around yourself and that's your personal altar with you and the Lord as we prepare our hearts to take communion.